This is Roof English Radio with Darenata, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, it's Roof English Radio. I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company today. And this was going to be an episode of The Week in Iceland, but I think it's more appropriate if we consider this 36 hours in Iceland, mm. given what has happened over the course of 36 hours since Sunday morning. As we sit here, it's Monday afternoon. It's the 15th of January, just after two o'clock. And my guest today is my colleague here at Roof England, Laura Christiansdottir, who's going to... Uh, help me look at what's happened mm. since Sunday morning, since yesterday morning. Um, I woke up at eight o'clock in the morning yesterday. I saw that the eruption had happened and we just immediately started covering that as, as best we could. Were you surprised? Oh, yes. It had been uh, very, well, strange news even in the days before. We mm. had the the man uh, that had fa- fallen into one of the cracks in Grindavik, yes. which was... A huge news here and very devastating news. Yes. A man falling into the crevice. And then uh, late on f- uh, Friday, I believe, they had decided to stop looking for him because it was just too dangerous. Mm. And then we had that decision um, on Saturday that they were going to evacuate the town on Monday. So we were really expecting uh, it to be in the Monday evening mm. uh, t- for things to kick off. But then, as you said... Right before 8 o'clock on Monday morning, yes. the eruption had started. And that presumed fatality, it does regrettably seem to be a fatality in Grindavik with mm. the worker falling into the crevasse. Yes, they had been working the, on filling one of the, the yeah, crevices. Yeah, the, the only injury or fatality that's been sustained since the earthquake swarm started in November, I think. Incredible, really, to think about that and how mm. tragic that it was someone that was trying to repair the damage who, yeah. who ended up losing his life. But you say the focus absolutely did switch to the eruption when it took place at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. Mm -hmm. So let's move back to that point. At first, there was, I think, a lot of concern and disappointment that some of it had happened on the wrong side of the defensive wall that had been built around Grindavik. So some of the lava did emerge uh, on the wrong side of the wall Mm -hmm. and looked like it was heading toward the town at one point. But, But interestingly... The defensive wall that had been constructed by that point seems to have kept, at least from that fissure, most of the lava away from the town. Yes, the largest part of the yeah. lava. So yeah, the yeah. first crevice that opened up, the first fissure, part of it was outside of the defensive wall, but the majority of it, 90% of it, had opened mm. on the right side of the defensive walls. And we've just seen in the images in the last uh, 10 hours that yeah. they have been r- very successful in keeping uh, most of the lava away from the town and and pointing it towards uh, west, to so the west, yeah, around uh, really the town. So the lava has stacked up. It's and it's it's folded itself, if you will, against that wall, hasn't yes. it? And moved at down some points, it's around uh, fifteen meters high. Yeah, uh, around those walls, even though they hadn't finished uh, yes. a part of it, it still. Uh, became very successful. It's done an amazing job. And if you just look at those photos at a glance and you wonder why there's a line of lava, that's Mm -hmm. why. It's because because of the defensive defensive walls. Like a ruler has kept it all in place or most of it in place. And God, very early on, we saw that some of the biggest and most essential equipment was right by the fissure opening. Yes. Now, we want to talk about some of the astonishing imagery that we've seen over the last 24 hours or so. It's worth saying that at 12 o'clock yesterday, four mm-hmm. hours after the first fissure erupted, fissure opened, mm-hmm. there was a much smaller but much more dangerous 
fissure that opened just mm-hmm. to the north of the town, which yeah. ultimately led to, I think, as we sit here, three houses uh, being destroyed by mm-hmm. the lava as it made its way into the town. And that was the point at which everyone said this is absolutely the last thing that we wanted to yes. see was a fissure opening up basically inside the town. Yes, few metres from the northernmost houses in the town. That mm. was the worst case scenario that we saw happen. And the lava flowed uh, south towards the town and uh, one of the houses uh, was completely engulfed by the lava. So the lava yeah. flowed over the house and two houses burned down just from the pro- proximity of the lava. And I think the owner of one of the houses, maybe all the owners, were watching this happen yes, on the webcams, live, weren't they? Yeah, on the on the live feed that we had, they yeah. were watching their, their houses burn down. Yeah. And uh, one of our reporters spoke to um, one of the owners uh, who who said that they had been uh, spending the last years building that house together. It was sort of their family coming together to build their future home. So they still hadn't moved into it. They had planned on moving into it uh, for Christmas. But obviously, you know, with the situation, nobody was properly moving into the town. No. And then they saw everything unfold on television. Well, we'll talk about the return to Grindavik as part of this conversation, but let's just focus on some of those incredible images from yesterday. Think back to the first eruption, the larger of the eruptions, the one that the wall prevented a lot of damage from, and you had the incredible sight. I think we were all glued to our televisions, weren't we, when we saw this incredible sight of these workers who'd been building these defensive Mm -hmm. walls running in, running Rushing towards... into the area. Yeah, running towards a lava flow mm-hmm. so they could rescue these excavators, rescue these machines so they could carry on doing good work elsewhere. Yeah, excavators they were later used to finish building parts <laughs> of the wall. So yeah. these people, these men and women, they did not stop. So they went mm. in there and we saw a video from one of the workers who took a video from inside. Yeah. And you could see the lava flow right next next to his vehicle and almost going at the same pace because these are very big uh, machines that mm. are very slow moving mm. and the lava creeping beside them. I think that's one of the more astounding videos that I've seen. I think it's going to be the defining image of this eruption, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the video, of course, still available to watch on all the Ruv Punteris platforms, including Ruv English. And when I was watching that, I was thinking, well, I was thinking lots of things. I was thinking, hurry up, <laughs> you know, yes. just just make, make this successful. But, of course, the route that they used to get these machines out was actually along the top of one of the walls. Yes, it was. Built. So they were able to use that uh, on their way uh, from the lava. <laughs> and you could see the lava sort of piling up around yeah. because of the part that yeah. uh, opened up on the wrong side. of. So it was piling up beside them as they're on this almost like a bridge yes, yes. In, with a pool of lava between them uh, on, on either side. Yeah, going and, and that clip that we have that the, the driver or the passenger in one of the vehicles mm. took, you can see him, he gives way, doesn't he, to another digger yes, in front of them. Yes, lets him go ahead. Let's him go onto the wall so that he can exit safely as well. Incredible yeah. stuff. And uh, the only damage that was done um, by that eruption was to the solitary lamppost. Oh, yes. That held out for a long time, didn't it? It did. Before it, 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 fell it, over. it kept for a while. And I saw that, uh, you know, other uh, foreign news agencies were, were had their own live feed. And uh, I, I quickly look at the one that the Daily Mail had. And this is a very British thing that you notice the news that people give uh, inanimate objects nicknames. Yes, I'm and sorry I saw, about that. 
No, no, but it was very British that I noticed people were naming the lamppost Larry. So suddenly I saw something trending on Twitter or X where it was Larry yeah. the lamppost has fallen. And uh, I was like, who is Larry? Oh, okay. okay so yeah, that, just, they had named him. Britain's doing Britain, I guess. So when we got to yesterday afternoon, it was a, a really confused picture, wasn't it? Because, well, certainly by the end of Sunday, it became clear that this very damaging but smaller fissure eruption mm. had pretty much died out. It had claimed three homes, mm -hmm. but it had largely died out. As we sit here this afternoon, where are we? Because the larger eruption is still going on. Mm -hmm. It has not ended, mm -hmm. even though we thought by now it might be you know, quite clearly about to end. Yeah, it seems to be, uh, you know, still ongoing. Yeah. And we noticed from uh, the footage from the helicopter ride uh, around noon today that there are two, at least two erupting, um, like, crevices in mm. the larger one. And the smaller one, it's it's still hot and we can still see uh, sort of steam and smoke mm. rising from it. But it definitely has stopped creeping towards the town. Uh, but right now we are still in uncertainty. We have heard that there is still uh, a chance of eruption in the town itself. Yes. There were a number of new uh, crevices that opened uh, in the last week or yeah. so. So cracks, not, not fissures. So but not cracks. fissures, but yeah, cracks yeah. that yeah. are all aligned above uh, the... Magma corridor, which we call magma corridor, but it's not the technical name for Intrusion, it. Intrusion, I think, Intrusion, is what they like yes. to say. So yeah. underneath yeah. it, there is still um, lava flowing that has a chance to go up onto the surface. And these cracks are all aligned above it. And mm. the magma could uh, make, it way, make its way up towards the surface and through those cracks that have opened. Well, what we've been reporting in the last few hours, uh, Lovisa Mjotl, Goodmans.ia from the Met Office says this eruption is not over. Mm. Uh, considerable uncertainty about what will happen next. Nothing can be ruled out. It's being examined whether the magma in this eruption is coming from somewhere other than Svartsenki. Now, mm. this is where it was thought to be coming from. Yes. But because the, the land is still rising at Svartsenki, mm -hmm. which is where the power station is and where the Blue Lagoon is, um, there is a suspicion that this magma is actually coming from somewhere else in this yes. system. So even though we've had uh, five volcanic eruptions in the last few years, the magma has not been coming from the same uh, magma chamber. We noticed this with the magma in December. Mm. It was not the same from the uh, first volcanic eruption in 2021, the one that awakened Reykjaneskaya. So th that's still this strange thing. We have so many... Magma systems underneath Reykjaneskaya, this is not just one volcano that we are talking about. These are no. intricate systems, some that seem to be connected and some that seem to be its own system. And that's something that uh, we don't, we haven't really seen before in volcanic eruptions no, in Iceland. And, and this one particularly seems to be behaving in a slightly strange way and we won't know for some time exactly what it means. And that is why when people ask me, I'm sure they ask you as well from outside of the country, how long will this go on for? Mm. It's even more difficult this time to tell, isn't it? Oh yes, it seems to be coming now in waves and this is a discussion we've been having since 2021 Yeah. because the last eruption was what, 800 years ago? The, the last sort of series of eruptions mm, was yeah. yeah 800, so 800 years of silence yeah. and then suddenly five and four years. Suddenly it awakens and I remember one of the uh, geologists saying that 
right now we are seeing properly why Iceland was called this island of fire in, yeah. in the old stories. Because they would have these eruptions, continuous, what they would call eldar, which is fires. So not volcanic, they would just call them the fires. Yes. Uh, which would go on and on, these fissure eruptions in the same area. So what we are seeing, even though it's unusual for us in our lifetime, this seems to be a typical Icelandic volcanic eruption yeah. that we just haven't seen in our lifetime. So what are the implications for those poor people in Grindavik? Of course, they've been very largely evacuated since the 10th of mm-hmm. November. People had gone back in fairly small numbers and it became possible to do that. And then everyone was cleared out, of course, on Sunday morning. But mm-hmm. what does it mean long term for those people? So many Grindavik residents, and who could blame them for this, mm-hmm. must now be thinking, well, at the very, very least, we don't want the massive upheaval of having to evacuate every few months. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a time of uncertainty. I remember um, uh, late last night there was uh, you know a, a message from the the town uh, of Grindavik to the residents saying yes. so we now have to uh, sort of accept that this is an uncertainty, mm. and of course b- before this eruption people were saying yeah of course I'm going to move back you know we are strong we we keep together but now that I've been hearing from people that I know from Grindavik yeah. you know watching this unfold this this tragedy some people are thinking well seeing that seeing the lava run through my town i'm mm. not sure i want to move there with my children again with the chance of it happening again yeah, which because as we said there, here, is, there a is a chance, chance. Yeah. we've seen yeah. it now go into the town yeah. and this is just a conversation that will be had in the next weeks and months they will be getting support from the government some people saying you know not enough uh, but the uh, government has said that they will be uh, helping them with uh, monthly like mm. finances, yeah. and of course they'll have to see uh, if they can get some part of their their homes back. Yeah. But yeah, we are now seeing their homes, you know, and, and you know, leaving aside the emotional yeah. awfulness, the trauma of that, the financial mm. implications are huge as well because there are insurance mm-hmm. concerns. There's a question over whether insurance will cover everyone to the full extent of their losses. Um, questions over whether the government should simply just buy homes for all the nearly 4,000 mm-hmm. people who've had to move yeah. out of the town. And just on the politics of this yesterday, or this this earlier on this morning, I should say, uh, Prime Minister Katrin Jakobsdottir said after that cabinet meeting that took place that the temporary measures that were in place back in November, they're going to be extended. Mm-hmm. Operational support is still being discussed uh, and a bill for that will be submitted to Althingi next week. Of course, it's not back till the 22nd, is it? No, but uh, we can we can be sure that Althingi will accept it. They've mm. all been, uh, everyone has agreed yeah, on no this. Yeah, no one's voting against no, this. Yeah, no they? one has voted yeah, against, yeah. against this. This is uh, definitely a bipartisan agreement. I mean, I hate to sort of consider the idea that the town might be abandoned, but if there's a significant number of people who, who feel that it's better Mm-hmm. And this has to be led by the residents of Grindavik. Their views have to be the most important ones here. But ultimately, if the residents decide that the risk is just too unpleasant mm-hmm. to deal with, you, you can imagine people moving out of the town permanently. Yes, that is definitely a possibility. And then I can imagine at that point, uh, if things slow down, that people will at least have a chance to get into town Try and yeah. collect, you know, some people are saying there are some so many photos, you know, these memories that they leave behind if they have a chance to go and, you know, pick up that teddy bear that they left, you know, anything to be able to go back. But obviously everyone hopes that one day it will mm. be secure, especially 
with uh, defensive measures. But I think Icelanders are feeling very uncertain. Yeah. And what those defensive walls have proved is that you can, it seems, Mm -hmm. largely defend an area from lava unless, of course, the eruption takes place within the walls. Yes. And that's the issue here. Because Because until quite recently, yeah, yeah, until quite recently, we'd we'd sort of not written off, but we thought that the chances of there being an eruption within the town were pretty slim. Mm -hmm. Even at that point when the first crevice opened up early uh, early yesterday, they were saying there's a last chance of lava reaching the town. And I think it was only an hour later that the second crevice opened, the second fissure opened. Yeah. Now, in terms of support for Grindavik residents, the government has set up a a sort of drop-in centre, a service Mm centre, I think it's called, with psychological support and practical information. And that is at the old toll house, isn't it, in in Reykjavik? I think a lot of residents will be aware of that by now. It's doing great work, it seems. Mm -hmm. Um, And also keeping the town united. It's keeping, not the memory, but it's keeping the concept of Grindavik alive, isn't it? Yes. And they've also been able to, you know, go and have choir practices in the houses. And, you know, there's nothing like singing together that brings people together. Yeah. And have a place to sort of get, you know, all the information in one place, which has been very helpful. But so many people, they just have, do not have proper housing. Some have just been in industrial buildings and it's I think that's the first thing on people's minds. They need proper housing because it's just one uh, woman described it yesterday. It's it's damaging to the soul mm. to stay in this sort of um, yeah a non yeah a non home a non home something that's yeah. not designed to live in yeah absolutely. Now the president addressed the nation yesterday, and the tone of what he was saying was about the country doing what Iceland does mm-hmm. in situations like this. It comes together. Yeah. It's a small country, but it's obviously it's a very caring country as mm-hmm. well. People look after each other. Do you think if if it comes to it politically, if a politician crunches the numbers and says, "Well, we can do this. We mm-hmm. can house everybody that needs to be housed, but it's going to cost money, and the way that we raise that money is through extra taxation." I mean, what's your hunch? Do you think that people are going to be willing to? To pay a bit more on the tax bills if it means that this is dealt with in that way? I believe so. I believe the majority, definitely majority of Icelanders. But there has been, you know, I, I've heard some news about people that have been quite hostile towards uh, people of Grindavík. You know, a very small number. Very pe- small. People yeah. saying that they're just getting things for free. And this happened the same after the volcanic eruption in Vestmanér. Mm, 50 it's, years ago. Uh, yeah. Mm. But people were, you know, they they would move to the mainland and they would go to schools and the kids would be picked on. Uh, it's it's such, uh, God, it's it's such a strange way of, of dehumanizing people that have been through the worst experience of their life. But if those voices are very small in number, it doesn't matter how loud they are. If mm-hmm. only a few people believe that, then politically, if there is a will, you know, generally speaking, to, mm-hmm. to raise money or to, to pull together, it doesn't really matter what they say, does yeah. it, ultimately? Yeah. I definitely think there's a will. I mean, yeah. it's all about coming together, uniting, and, you know, uh, keeping these people together with their families yes. in something that they can call a home because it's it's devastating watching what happened in the town mm. but being a resident being from Grindavík and seeing it's it's a thousand it, times worse it's horrifying and we should remember that's that's two attacks on the town essentially mm-hmm. because the earthquakes 
in November, which usually earthquakes on that peninsula that precede the eruptions are not anything to worry about. You know, a couple of ornaments shake on the on the, the cupboard mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be. This time, those earthquakes were really significant and yes. they damaged the town. Now the town is damaged, of course, by the lava coming in as well and the threat of not just further cracks opening, but as you say, further eruptions as well. There's real physical damage being done to mm-hmm. the infrastructure. And we should talk about the hot water as well, of course, and the, the electricity. The town is without both at the moment, isn't it? Yes, they, they uh, shut down uh, parts of it and some parts were, were damaged. And uh, yeah, it's been a strange, different sort of yeah, devastation to the town than before. Mm-hmm. We were all a bit surprised by the uh, earthquakes in uh, November before the eruption yeah. because this devastation... Yeah. We haven't seen it since around maybe 2000 in, mm-hmm. in Selfoss with the earthquakes in south of Iceland. But this was much more uh, centralized to the town than the ones in 2000s around Selfoss. Yes, you remember our colleague Valor who was in um, in the town in Grindavik yes. on the night of the earthquakes interviewing, I think, was it the mayor? Yes, he was, was he was interviewing Fannar Jónasson, yeah. the mayor, yeah. when one of the big earthquakes and you could see the cars behind shake. Yeah. Yeah. And they had to stop and the whole world just seemed to shift. Yes. And those earthquakes were felt right across the capital area. Mm-hmm. We were watching that at the time yeah. live. And just because of the way that, you know, television signals take a little while to, to reach your screen, a few seconds, we heard this kind of, well, we felt this thump mm-hmm. on the building. Yeah. And then we saw on the screen a few seconds later what had caused it. And, of yeah. course, in Grindavik, it was a much more significant event. Yeah, exactly. Like, even in Reykjavik, it felt like a car hitting, yeah. like a massive vehicle hitting the building. And then seeing it on TV, I mean, seeing the the ground shake and the the houses and the cars, that gosh, that was that was very strange. Mm. Well, let's try to to move towards a slightly more positive angle on this. The nation is pulling together. There is help available. We hope that the the government meeting earlier on today was useful and that people in Grindavik can can find some way of getting on with their lives. As we look ahead. Do you think there's going to be some sort of long-term adaptation to this new reality? We've talked about people in the time maybe not wanting to return, but but more widely, does this? Do we learn lessons from this? Well, yes, we have to, and we have to adapt. I think uh, there are already plans, like long-term plans ahead, especially with Almanavarnir with the National Defence. Mm. But uh, the question that keeps coming up is: Will this be? a few hundred years event and how do we prepare for that for example in the capital when yeah. we we live quite close to it because the volcanic system reaches all the way to uh, the capital and it seems uh, Icelanders we are much more used to preparing well short term mm-hmm. and and we react a lot but there's also been uh, so many like measurements taking ahead especially with uh, when they emptied the town before. Mm-hmm. So we are definitely preparing beforehand. But it seems that in the last few years, it's all been very short term. Yes. And the nature of the politics in Iceland are very short term. And if if we are going to come together and prepare for a longer event, uh, I think it's going to be... a very difficult. Yeah, I think I think that's true in, in, in lots of countries, though, isn't it? It's difficult to imagine any politician 
coming up with a policy that's intended to last for three or four hundred years, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, and and just and uh, before when you asked me about you know what if we just have to desert Grindavik because it's so personal to us and close to us, yeah. it's so difficult to have that conversation. And politically, it's going to be very, very difficult to have that conversation. Mm. When do you make a decision to abandon a town? Yeah, and that can only, I think, that can only be led by the people that live there. Yeah, completely. There's no other way to do that, is there? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I suppose a lot of people will be asking how long this goes on for. We've established that we that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Do we know how long the state of emergency might be in force for? Because that that governs a lot of the, the response and it governs the, the state in which we all sort of find ourselves, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the state of emergency was stood down quite quickly, as I recall, when the last eruption ended, which was just four days after it began, yeah. on the 22nd of December. Does it does it stay in place longer because of the risk posed to Grindavik, even though people aren't going to be there? Yeah, we're, we're, but we only look at I think a few weeks uh, at at a time because we we they're constantly measuring it and yeah. seeing you know with the GPSs and everything. So we're looking at uh, a few weeks to start with, and as you know we're in the middle of an event, uh, we can only wait until things have slowed down at least mm-hmm. until we get the the latest news from them. Yeah. And we just don't know, even as we sit here at, what, half past two, something like that, on, on Monday afternoon, what mm-hmm. the, the next phase of this is going to be. Entirely possible that within a couple of days, both eruptions will have stopped completely. Or indeed, and we hope this is not the case, that another fissure opens up somewhere and this cycle starts again. But mm-hmm. this is not the last we're going to hear of this story, without any doubt. Worth also just underlining, of course, that uh, if you are planning a trip, to Iceland if you've got flights booked. None of what is happening affects that at all. The airport is mm-hmm. completely unaffected. And, you know, we, we, we this bears repeating. It's because this is not like the eruption that took place in 2010. Yeah, this, this is, is yeah. not Airfjall. This is not happening under glacial ice. Yeah, this is a, a fissure eruption that is like slow creeping lava. It doesn't, you, we don't have ash plumes in the air. It doesn't affect flight. Um, the gas has been, uh, there's always a bit of gas around the area, but it has not been uh, like affecting uh, that much the towns around. So yes. it is, you know, it's safe to travel and safe uh, Absolutely. To and, and sometimes, you know, some myths can spring up around all of this pretty quickly. I remember yes, after the... Yes, notice that on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Because that is what you do here at Rue, of course, mm-hmm. isn't it? And, and you'll be at the, the cutting edge of this or the, the call face when it comes to, to seeing all of the, the nonsense. And there's a lot of nonsense out there. But I remember after the last eruption just a few weeks ago, we had friends and family calling us saying, are you surviving the poisonous gas cloud Yeah, that's that's descended over the city? What poisonous, yeah, what gas? poisonous <laughs> gas cloud? And I think it's it's strange for us because living on a volcanic island, yeah, yes. we're all sort of experts at the different types of volcanic <laughs> eruptions. I mean, you imagine someone, li- well, you yourself are from Britain, yeah. um, but people living in other countries, they don't have to think about volcanic eruptions, the types of lava, the types of ash plumes and, and gas. So uh, I can understand that people hear Absolutely. volcanic eruption. They hear, oh, okay, so big ash plume, explosion, yeah. no flights. But here we are, us um, and, so, uh, and self-proclaimed it, experts in volcanology and saying And inevitably, no. it's going to be the most dramatic images that end up on the TV screens around the world. So it's of going course. to be the eruption at its peak, in the dark, mm-hmm. with these rivers of fire, with these fountains of, mm-hmm. of fire and yeah. fiery rock Which are usually up. quite early in an eruption yeah. before yeah. it slows down and the lava starts to harden and, and cool. 
Yes. So if you if you've seen that, yes, it's very dramatic. You might think it's it, it's pretty and it is you know beautiful in a in a terrifying kind of way, but this is not the kind of eruption that tourists are going to be flocking to, and nor should they be flocking to. We should also say as well, of course, that civil defence and the police have had to warn people off mm -hmm. from marching towards this just to get some Instagram shot, which is about, and stopping people doing that is just about the worst possible use of police time. It's hard oh, to, God, yeah. it's possible to imagine, isn't it? So um, I'm sure no one listening to this needs to be told to, uh, to, yeah. to stay away from you what is. You can watch it from your television screen or your iPhone. <laughs> Indeed so. And as we, as we sit here, it appears to be declining anyway. So who knows how much time there is left on it. Um, we will continue, I think, on Roof English Radio this week. Try to, we're going to try to bring commentary on what's happening into some of our what you might call regular programming, just to keep an eye on what is happening over the next couple of days. Nothing, I think, would give anyone in Iceland greater pleasure than for that not to be necessary, mm -hmm. because sometimes that's missed as well. We, it's it's dramatic for us to sit here and look at this, but but we live here and we can see the damage that's being caused by this. We don't want this to continue. No, God, it's it's been a strange few years, especially coming straight from COVID into the volcanic eruptions. <coughs> Sorry. Of, of all the moments to cough as you talk about COVID. COVID volcanic <laughs> eruptions. God, no, but it feels like we've been in alert mode. Yeah. For so many years, and I wish it weren't that way. Well, maybe it's not going to be. Let's keep our fingers crossed that, uh, that we get some respite. And I suppose if there is any, any upside to this, at least we can say that all of those incredible people who've been doing this incredible rescue mm. work, at least they had Christmas and New Year off. Yeah. You know, at, at least at least that period existed between the two eruptions. Mm -hmm. And they could be with their families and yeah. have some peace and quiet together. Because can you imagine if that had happened at 10 o'clock on Christmas morning? God, and that was that was definitely a possibility. Absolutely a possibility. Yeah. But these, uh, what's been interesting with these volcanic eruptions is they they seem to, uh, yeah, they they are getting short um, and regular. So yeah. we the first one we were seeing, you know, for a few months, and then we we're looking at a few weeks, a few days, which mm. is definitely similar to other. Uh, similar types of volcanic eruptions, uh, especially ones I think in seventy something, yes. where it was regular and short. Some of them even lasting just for half a day. Yeah. And w now that we've seen this strange sort of routine coming up, I think that's something that we can expect: mm -hmm. short-lived, regular eruptions. Which might make them less frightening, I suppose, if they if they go off in the right places. Yes, but we, that's the thing: where, yeah. where will they come up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so many of the ones in the last few years have gone off in tourist-friendly locations, away mm -hmm. from infrastructure, away from towns. It's not been the case this time, unfortunately. Not this time. All right. Ingrid, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Ingrid Lara, Christian's daughter, uh, my guest today on Roof English Radio. And if you want to get in touch with us anytime, of course, you can by email. The address to use is english at ruv.is. There is more from Roof English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Roof English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof.